you think about training that next generation of pastors and leaders and missionaries and teachers? And uh, just through the years, you all have been so wonderful to think about how the Lord, if he calls his church to faithfulness, will not just call this generation. He will call future generations. And what you do when you support a, a seminary is you are, in essence, supporting the leaders for your children and their children's children. A seminary is really our mission to our own children, and you've been so faithful to it, and I'm thankful to you in that. Let me ask that you would look in your Bibles this morning at Romans chapter 5. These will be familiar words to you. This is one of the most precious passages in all of Scripture for combining the truths of the gospel, dense, condensed, and splendid. Here's what the Lord says after the Apostle Paul has just reminded us that we are justified not by our works, made right with God, not by what we do, but by faith in what Christ has done for us. Paul continues that thought in the first verse of chapter 5 of Romans saying, Therefore, since we have been justified through faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ through whom we have gained access by faith into this grace in which we now stand. And we rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. Not only so, but we also rejoice in our sufferings, because we know that suffering produces perseverance, perseverance, character, and character, hope. And hope does not disappoint us because God has poured out his love into our hearts by the Holy Spirit, whom he has given us. You see, at just the right time, when we were still powerless, Christ died for the ungodly. Very rarely will anyone die for a righteous man, though for a good man someone might possibly dare to die. But God demonstrates his own love For us in this, while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Since we have now been justified by his blood, how much more shall we be saved from God's wrath through him? For if, when we were God's enemies, we were reconciled to him through the death of his Son, how much more, having been reconciled, shall we be saved through his life? Not only is this so, but we also rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received reconciliation. Let's pray together. Father, the words, the words are thick, but they express a love that is immense. Help us to take the strength from it that you intend We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Do you know the name of the the French philosopher Blaise Pascal? Do you know that name? French mathematician, philosopher, physicist. In 1654, his carriage went off a bridge and almost killed him. And it wasn't just the end of of that day's journey, it was the end of another long journey into night as well. He had experienced so many 
setbacks. His family wealth had been dissipated through family feuding. His ideas, though they were brilliant, were controversial and being discredited. His health fading away. He was a young man, and even though he had written a treatise on romance, he was still unmarried. Everything seemed to be going wrong and abandoning him, including, though he had a great fear of it, the loss of all his family, his siblings, through other illness as well. You said what was left, not family, not health, not even former religion. Nothing seemed to help. What, what was left for him? One thing. The work of the Holy Spirit to blaze the truth of the gospel into his heart. After he went off the bridge and almost lost his life, having lost virtually everything else, he wrote that night on a scrap of paper words that he then kept sewn in the lining of his coat for the rest of his life. These words. Fire! God of Abraham, God of Isaac, God of Jacob, not of philosophers, not of scholars, certainty, certainty, heartfelt joy and peace. God of Jesus Christ, only found by the ways taught in the gospel. Joy, 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 tears of joy. Let me never be cut off from him. They were words of of a virtual ecstasy, of having found when life had stripped away every other hope, every other certainty, that there was something that still could be clung to, and it was a relationship with the eternal God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, that there was a God of covenant that was so eternal and good and loving that even when this life was full of tears of pain, one could still know tears of joy. Some of us at different phases of life know just just a taste of what I'm talking about. It may be when in ministry or, or business or relationship, that, that everything gets stripped away from you. And, and some of you have known this. I've known this. When, when the sense of failure in ministry, the, the sense of not accomplishment, the only thing I have, it seems at times, I go home and I have a wife that loves me. And in a certain sense, the pain surrounding that relationship makes that relationship all the more dear. But I'm enough of a realist. I... I recognize this is a world of tragedy, and even that human relationship is tentative. Could there be a relationship with God that would, that would supersede all the pain of the world? It, it being present, it being acknowledged, and yet something so secure, so good with God, that even in the midst of tears of pain, we could know tears of joy. It is actually the dimensions of that relationship that the Apostle Paul is describing, and he first describes the dimension of, of peace. I mean, it's, it's, it's right in the first verse. Therefore, since we have been justified through faith, we have peace with God 
how is it that we can have peace with God? Well, he says, since we have been justified. It's, it's the courtroom language first. Though my sin would hold just cause for God to be wrathful toward me, that God, the preceding chapters, sent his son as a propitiation, as an atoning sacrifice to take the penalty for the sin that I deserve. And now God in justice has distributed the penalty, but in mercy, not upon us, but upon his own son in our behalf. And because we have been justified by the work of Jesus Christ, we can have peace with God. There, there is a cessation of hostilities. In a, in a yellowed newspaper in our basement, in a cardboard box still, is a, a newspaper that my mother saved from her teenage years. It was the, the paper issued in her hometown of Knoxville, Tennessee on VJ Day. The end of the war, the end of hostilities, and the headline is just one word in six-inch type. What's the one word? Peace. And my mother says that she danced on the streets of Knoxville on that day. And my mother was raised old-school Methodist, and they don't do that sort of thing. But because there was peace, there was a, a joy that could not be contained. And it's not simply that we have peace by faith through this justification that God has provided. We have, as well as justification, something that's a little odd to our ears. Verse 2, we have gained access by faith into this grace in which we now stand and we rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. Now that, that word access for, for all the professors is going to be a very special word. It's saved in the Bible for those moments to talk about access to a very special place. Sometimes it means to a throne room. That's what Paul says in Ephesians, that by the work of God we now have access to the Heavenly Father, the King. But there's something different going on here. When you talk about having access to a place of grace in which we now stand, where dwells the glory of God, what would the apostle be thinking of? I don't know if some of you have, have traveled to, to Israel or been to Jerusalem. But if you've been to the holy city there, you recognize that even now as the excavations have occurred, you can still walk up the southern steps that a Jew would have walked on the day of Passover. Now, the steps are not what you think. I mean, they are huge, hewn, stone steps. They would be, they would be as broad as this church and as high as your chest with with little steps between getting you up. But at the time of Passover, at Christ's time, you would have had literally hundreds of thousands of Jews going up these steps, going to the purification pools to do the ritual cleansings before they would go up into the outer courts. And then in the outer courts, they would purchase their sacrifices. And then they would move more toward the inner courts where the priest would offer the sacrifice in their behalf. But even though you would have these hundreds of thousands of people going into the outer courts, there is one place they could not go. Where could they not go? To the Holy of Holies. Only one, the high priest, only once a year, going to make atonement for the people and on his knees 
remember with the cord tied to his ankle, so if he died, they would have to pull him. On his knees, going into the Holy of Holies, where the glory of God dwelt, such was the glory of God as it descended when Solomon built the temple that even the priests could not stay in the temple because the glory of God drove them out. And now, when one lamb, do you remember, went to a cross on a hill called Calvary, The veil between the outer courts and the Holy of Holies was what? Rent from where to where? From top to bottom. And suddenly the people had what? Access. We are told that by the work of Jesus Christ, we all have access. Now think of the words. Into this grace in which we now stand. That that God has made a way for his people. Not by my work, not by your work. Through the justifying work of Jesus Christ, we have peace with God because we can, we can stand in the hope and the presence of the glory of God by the work of God in our behalf. We have justification by faith. We have access by faith. And one more thing, we have, we have explanation by faith. These are hard words. Having spoken so much of the glory that we have, Paul says in verse 3, not only so, but we rejoice in our sufferings. Now, note the words. He doesn't say we rejoice for our sufferings. That would be kind of odd. But he says even in our sufferings we can rejoice. Why? Because we know that suffering produces perseverance and perseverance, character and character, hope. In our suffering, there is a production, there can be, of perseverance. The the Greek there means to remain under something. As though in a time of suffering, if we don't flee it, if if we endure what, what we must endure, that character is being produced. And the reason character is being produced is because when everything else gets stripped away, my my belief of what my wealth could hold, what, what my abilities could do, what my family could... If somehow, if all of that is being stripped away, what you end up with is being able to, to latch only onto the deepest, most pure thing, and that is your hope in God. And this is character, not just saying that when the going gets tough, the tough get going. But when the going gets so tough that it's unbearable, that God alone gets the glory because there's nothing else left anymore. It's just God. I mean, there's nothing else to hope in. And that's why Paul says, ultimately, this perseverance leads to character that latches on to God. That's ultimately hope itself. Some of you know the name George Robertson, my pastor friend, and he wrote some years ago of ministry to a 14-year-old girl who was, who was dying of cancer. And over the two-year course of that disease, this wonderful believing girl and a wonderful believing family began to keep a notebook of, of Bible verses that were supporting her during the time of her suffering. After she had gone to be with the Lord, her family opened the notebook and there was an index card inside that that had a simple phrase on it. And this was the phrase. The moon is round. 
they didn't quite know what that meant and couldn't quite figure it out until they read more into the notebook. And then discovered that what the girl was saying was this, that, that whether there are clouds that come or the darkness of the night, even, even when you can only see just the sliver of the moon, what do you know? Even if you only see a sliver of the moon, what do you know? The moon is still round. Such is the love of God. There are times when we only see a sliver and we wonder, is it, is it true, God, with, with what we're going through, with what we're experiencing, is it, is it true? And he's saying, by virtue of your having been justified by Christ, by access into the hope of the glory of God, that, that you can know, even when you just see a sliver of the providence of God, you know the moon is round. You know enough about God and what he has done through his son to still say there is reason to trust in him. The moon is still round, even when I cannot, and for that reason, I still can have hope. And the apostle is so brave and honest as to say in verse 5, and hope does not disappoint us. Some of your translations say, does not put us to shame. Because God has poured out his love into our hearts by the Holy Spirit whom he's given us. You say, is there any reason for my hope? You say, yes, that the hand of God is not only powerful in providing for our justification, but, but I know this hand of power is guided by love, and, and that's what doesn't put me to shame. The world doesn't have to say, you're ridiculous for that hope. You're silly to hope yet. With what you've experienced, why would you hope? Because I know the hand that's behind all this is still loving. How do I know that? Verse 6. You see, at just the right time, while we were still powerless, Christ died for the ungodly. At just the right time. I don't exactly know what that means. I, I, I know it relates to the fact that from the dawn of creation, when God promised to Adam and Eve, speaking even to the serpent, I'm going to put enmity between your seed and her seed. You will come, Satan, and you will strike the, the heel of the seed of the woman. But what he's going to do, he is going to crush your head. And the battle has been engaged for millennia now. As God has brought forward through all of history and time the work of his son till this precise moment. I don't know why it was necessary then. Was it the Pax Romana? The, the, the peace throughout the world that it at least let people travel down those Roman roads? Or the fact that there was a commonly shared Latin language. But, but somehow it was just the right time for Christ to do his work. And this, this great hand of power that had worked through all the centuries brought it just the right time. Christ to die for the weak. I mean, it, it's such a strange statement. He was so powerful that he brought his son to die for those who were without strength, who were weak. Christ died, in fact, for the powerless who were ungodly. You know the argument then. Very rarely will someone die for a good man. I mean, we, we all know the accounts, you know. The, the one who falls on the grenade to save a band of brothers. The mother who goes back into the burning building to save a child. But, but would somebody actually die for what Paul says in verse 10? When we were God's enemies, would you die for that one? 
if they were to torture your son to death, would you die for them? This is love, incomparable, inestimable, incomprehensible for us to take it, but but somehow it's happening. We have this great evidence of the love of God. Christ Jesus died for the ungodly. While we were sinners, while we were even enemies, he did it. It doesn't make sense. In 1995, there was a, a Canadian film called The Conversion that was released in the United States. It, it, it didn't go to many theaters because it wasn't very popular. It was the story, do you remember when in the United States in the 90s, kind of the bad cliche in our culture was somebody going postal, getting so upset with their employer that they would go and wreak havoc in their own place of employment. The movie was about a man named Henry Marshall who at a Christmas party so upset at his employer went and shot three people and in the ensuing struggle was himself wounded. He fled, he goes to the country. As he's in this country inn, he begins to talk to another man just at the bar there, and the other man is named Lucas. And for some strange reason, Lucas listens to Henry pour out his bitterness and complaint, and and for some reason just seems to be willing to hear it with a sympathetic ear. And the more that Henry talks... And the more that Lucas listens, seemingly with ears of incomprehensible love, Lucas begins to bleed. Right in the place where Henry has been wounded. And then the wound opens in Lucas. And Henry's wound is healed. The police break into the inn and seeing that Lucas is the one that is wounded, they arrest him and take him away. And the end of the movie, Henry kind of walks out the door of the inn and sees a shooting star go across the sky. You would not be surprised that the critics did not think this was the best movie in the world. Preposterous, unbelievable, Cinderella meets Jesus. One was so bold as to say, this demonstrates the problems with the Christian belief system. That one who is innocent would suffer for another. It, of course, is preposterous. It, it, of of course, indicates incomprehensible love. Because that is its very purpose. To say to us, though you cannot see it, the moon is still round. God has showed a love so vast, so so impossible to believe that its power is meant to grip us. Then we have no basis for saying he still loves. That there could be tears of joy even in the midst of tears of pain because we say, look how great is the love of my God for one such as I and for such a people who have no deserving of it whatsoever. We can know ultimately joy. I mean, that's what he says in verse 11. Not not only is this so, this peace and this love that we have, but we can also rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received reconciliation. We can rejoice 
We rejoice. I know these are hard words in part because we have been saved from God. That's not me. That's what the Bible says. Verse 9. Since we've been justified by his blood, how much more shall we be saved from God's wrath through him? This was Paul's message from the beginning. Romans 1 and verse 18. The wrath of God is poured out against all ungodliness of men. The second chapter. The wrath of God will be revealed against all ungodliness. But not against us. I mean, that's the amazement. Though though his wrath could justly come, he says we are saved from that by the work of Jesus Christ in our behalf and by having faith in what Christ has done in our behalf. We are saved from the wrath of God. And and not only that, but, but for him. Verse 10, For if when we were God's enemies we were reconciled to him through the death of his Son... How much more, having been reconciled, shall we be saved through his life? You know the first part. He died to save us. He took the penalty for our sin. But the other side is we are now saved by his life. If if I'm crucified with Christ and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me, then I have his identity. He's made me new. He's he's given me his righteousness. And the consequence is I am reconciled to God. I'm I'm his now. The favorite gift I've ever been given by a seminary student was from a sculptor a few years ago. And what this seminary student gave me was a a sculptor, a sculpture of a of a Hebrew father, an Israelite father dressed in ancient robes on his knees, and then now this is totally anachronistic, and he's holding above his head a little child playing airplane, you know, like this. And, and, and what's even better is the look on both their faces. I mean, the child is loving it, just, you know, just kind of fly. But the face of the father is this euphoric, wonderful joy in the child that he holds. And to recognize that what God did was he gave his child to have many children who would bring him joy. And that we are now reconciled for the Father. He did this for himself, brought us to himself. And and when I know that, then I begin to understand what it means when the apostle says we are now reconciled. The the word means to change, to, to, to transfer an estate. We have been moved from one position to another. What is the position? Well, it's right where we began. We now have peace with God. The irene, peace, means to bind together. As though by the work of Christ in our behalf, there is nothing between us anymore in God. Nothing between. Because we're reconciled to him by the work of his Son. This last October, I went to to Ireland to minister, and I don't know if some of you know, but the violence is beginning to escalate again. And I went with a a young pastor who ministers in the Protestant portion of Northern Ireland where there are a lot of the paramilitary activity that's beginning to start again. 
And he told me about being in the home of one of his own church families recently where their, their son had been arrested for paramilitary activity. He went to minister to the family, and when he got to the family, he found that not only was the, the father cursing in a corner, but the mother, to deal with the pain of the arrest of her son, had had too much to drink. She was tipsy and clumsy in her words. She went to serve the pastor, and in serving him some tea, spilled it on him. And she just began to weep uncontrollably. What a shame to be a sot before the pastor. And he said to her, No, Mary, that's why I'm here for you. And when he, as the representative of Jesus Christ, said to her, No, Mary, that's why I'm here. She just fell on him. It's as though all the shame and all the pain and all the suffering and all the disappointment were outside of them now. There is nothing between them. It's what God promises to you. By the work of Jesus Christ, Is the pain still present? Yes. Is there suffering? Yes. Are there things you don't understand? Yes. But you know the moon is round. Because of the work of Jesus Christ in your behalf, and by faith in him, there's nothing between, nothing between you and him. And when you know that, you can face anything. Even if the tears of joy are shed with the tears of pain. You know the moon is round. And there is nothing between you and God. Father, would you so work this faith in our hearts that we, taking courage and hope from the truths of the gospel, might be ready for whatever place you call us and rejoice in you because of the work you have done through your Son. May this faith be ours For the joy of the world, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen.